and welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. My name is Aaron Kempel. Good to have you with us. Today I'm going to share with you a sermon that I did recently on the seven whys of mentoring. Mentoring is critical to our young people growing up and learning how to do, how to live, how to be. It's critical for our church, critical for church leadership, and to perpetuate the leadership for the future. It's, it's also so important for us to multiply our efforts and to bring in new blood and new energy. And so that, this sermon is all about that. So I hope it helps you. Without Moses, you have no Joshua. Without Naomi, you have no Ruth. Without Jesus, you have no Peter, James, and John. Without Paul, you have no Silas, Timothy, and Titus. Brothers and sisters and friends, we need mentors. And we need to be mentors. Amen. Good morning to you. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Good to be with you this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 3. I hope we do stand in awe. Thank you, Stan. Appreciate that. We're going to talk about seven things today. The outline is available uh, in the back. If you don't have it, I'm going to go through a lot of things and list a lot of things. So don't kill yourself trying to copy it. It's on the outline. So hopefully that'll be a help to you later. We're going to talk about seven things as to why mentoring is needed. Uh, the story is told in, in Greek mythology and the Greek stories that Odysseus, when setting out for war, left the care and training and education of his son Telemachus to a man named Mentor. And so hence we have that word that we use. A mentor is a trainer, a, a teacher, a coach, a guide. Okay, we see that in a lot of different ways. Uh, <clears throat> we see it in the world. Some people in the trades, they go through an apprenticeship training program. That's mentoring. Okay, we see that with, with parents, don't we? We see that in the church with older and the younger, but it's everywhere and we, we need that. And so the first thing that I want to do is, is give the first point, which is a basic point, I understand. But I think sometimes we miss the basic. Just seems to be a thing. The first reason we need to mentor is because God commands it. Have you ever thought about how God is generationally minded? Sometimes we as humans, we live at the end of our nose. We live here in the moment. We live here in the now. We're sometimes even with all good motives, caught up in the moment and doing and not thinking of the next generation, not thinking of that next group of people. But what we see is God commands mentoring. But you won't see the verse, thou shalt mentor. You won't be able to open up your Bibles and find that anywhere, thou shalt mentor. But what do we see? We'll be in Deuteronomy in a moment, but I just want to read some thoughts from you from scriptures, and they're on your outline. God says, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Sounds like mentoring, doesn't it? Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Uh, Paul told Timothy, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Not only was Timothy mentoring, he was mentoring people to mentor. 
He's generationally minded. God is generationally minded. Titus was told, show yourself to be a model of good works. That's mentoring. Elders are examples to the flock. Fathers train their children. Older men, older women are to teach the younger women. All of those are examples of mentoring, aren't they? And we need that. I want you to think about Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 3. If you're not familiar with this, Moses was the leader of Israel. He led the people out of the promised land, out of of Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land, but they had to do a 40-year spin in the wilderness because of unbelief. And the first generation died off. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, but someone else was going to, after Moses died, was going to take Israel into the promised land, and his name was Joshua. Well, what we see is God, because he's generationally minded, was mentoring Moses to mentor. Deuteronomy 3 and verse 28. But charge Joshua, encourage and strengthen him. You see those words? Verse 28, charge Joshua, encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people. He shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Moses train Joshua. It's interesting for those of you who, you know, you like to dig into things like this and read, just, just go back from that point and look at how many times Joshua was in the mix of things and how he was being mentored and taught by Moses. God made sure of that so that when Moses died, someone would be ready to take over. God commands us to mentor. So that's the first point. Second point, again, I know, man, Aaron, that is so complex. You're not going to live forever. I don't honestly want any more reminders of this. But we're going to get them. Nonetheless. Because one thing we do know. Fact. Newsflash. All will die. If Jesus doesn't come first. And so my death will by necessity require someone else to take my place. And so we understand that. And I want you to stay there uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 3. But uh, we, we talked about this verse the other day. But, but in, in the book of Hebrews, don't turn there, but just listen to this. The writer said, there were many priests, but they were prevented by death from continuing. You will be prevented by death from continuing. That might be today. That might be next week. I might think I still have another 20, 30 years to kick around. That might be today. But we will be prevented by death from continuing nonetheless. Okay? And so that is important for us to remember. Um, There were many priests. There were many kings, many judges, many prophets. One died, another took his place. King Saul died, David took his place. Then David died, Solomon took his place. Then Solomon died, Rehoboam took his place. Just keeps going, doesn't it? And that's true for judges and prophets, like I said. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. Moses, this is, by the way, the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't know this is a collection of Moses' last speeches. He's about to die. There's not a lot of time period that takes place here, maybe a month, I think. There's not a lot of time. It's just his final speeches and he dies. And then Joshua takes over. But Moses is saying, you know, I had a conversation with God about this, and I really wanted some extra time so that I could take the people of Israel into the land 
And notice this, Deuteronomy chapter 3, and in verse 23, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servants your greatness and your mighty hand. What God is there in heaven and on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land. But the Lord was angry with me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Wow. Don't speak anymore on this matter. Go to the mountaintop. 20, verse 27, go to the top of Pisgah. You get to look over the land. You get to see it. But you know what's going to happen at that point? Moses, you're going to pass away. And Joshua will be the new leader. And that's where we just read in verse 28. There's the therefore. Therefore, Moses, get him ready. Which he had been doing because of God's generational mindset. We will not live forever. What are, what are God's first words to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2? Moses, my servant, is dead. Your time, Joshua. And so we have to see that. Either we will work now to get people prepared. And I know there are things like that going on now, but we need to do this more and more. Either we will work now to prepare people for the future or our death will leave those around us unprepared. Third thing, because things are better shown than told. How many of you agree with that? <laughs> okay, if you don't agree, well, we can talk later. <laughs> Things are better shown than told. How do you know how to love? Is it because God defined it for you? Well, sure, he defined it. You can read a definition in 1 Corinthians 13. I think there's a great definition of love. Love is this, love isn't this, love is this, love isn't this. But Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't just say love. He showed it. He mentored us how to love. We love because God first loved us. Things are better shown than told. How did Jesus become a carpenter? He was a carpenter's son. How did the apostles know leadership and how to do that with humility? Because Jesus took a towel and washed their feet and says, I'm showing you an example that you may follow. How did the Christians in Rome know how to act? First Peter 5 tells us it was because of the elders who had set the example and pattern for them to do so. Side point, I am grateful for our elders. So grateful for the example that you set for us. How did the Philippians know how to follow Jesus? Because Paul set a pattern for them, Philippians chapter Three, these are all on your notes. Paul said, imitate me as what? Some of you know this, as I imitate Christ. We have to get it out of our thinking that telling people is enough. I told the young people, did you show them? I told those weak members, did you show them? I told them. Did you show an example of how to live? I am grateful as I think about some of the mentoring that's going on with our young women and our young men that's going on right now. I can name a lot of names, but thank you to all who's doing that. 
you're showing them, not just telling them, and God bless you for that. Showing. Things are better shown than told. Fourth thing, which will be our longest point, but I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18. Do you have any idea how many people were in the wilderness with Moses? I mean, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that just the men of fighting age, men over 20 who could go to war was 603,550 men. That's just the men of fighting age who were able to go to war. That's not counting the Levites. That's not counting the women, the children, the elderly, and the disabled. We're looking millions, aren't we? I'm pretty, I think that's a pretty safe bet. When you get to Exodus 18, Moses as the new leader of this group How many people are fielding the complaints of millions? It makes me tired thinking of it. Moses, solo Moses, only Moses, all by himself. It was the Moses channel. I want you to look at what his father-in-law, by the way, Moses was 80. He was mentored. His father-in-law mentors him to get involved in mentoring and delegation. And so as we think about multiplying the great work, which is this first point, Moses could not do this by himself. It's impossible. Look at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses, what? From morning till evening, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, stop there. There's a great thing Jethro's doing here. He's very wise, and I look at this as a great example. First of all, Jethro stops and he just assesses the situation, doesn't he? He's watching. He's seeing what his son-in-law is doing. He's seeing how he's judging all the people from morning till evening. And then he starts, as he, after he assesses and watches, now he's asking questions. And then he starts to ask questions. He says, what is this that you're doing for the people? And why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses, and I believe with all good motives, answers, well, because... The people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known them the statutes of God and his laws. They're coming to me to inquire of God, and they got problems, and I'm helping them. Sound like a good thing? Sounds like he's got great motives. Was that the right way to go about it? Not one versus a million. That that, That math does not compute. And I'm saying this to the doers in the Lord's church. We can't become Moses. We've got to multiply our workers. So look at what Jethro, after he assessed, he is diagnosing the problem. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. He also says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. Those of you who are in the boundaries class, you know about your burden versus other people's burdens, your yard versus other people's yards. He says, this is too heavy 
for you. This is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. He assessed it, diagnosed it. Now here's the problem. Now he's going to say, here's a solution. Very wise of him and how he goes about this. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. You do what Moses does really well. What happens when you're doing way too much? You're not doing the really good, the job that God really wants you to do. Isn't that what the apostles, those of you who are familiar with the text of Acts 6, the apostles couldn't leave the word of God and serve tables. They had to appoint seven men to help the widows. What his father-in-law, Moses, his father-in-law is telling him to do, Moses, do what Moses does really well. Have them do these things so that you can do what Moses does really well. Remember that. Okay. Verse 19, obey my voice, I will give you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them, teach them, make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Now, here's the, the way I'm breaking this section down. Teach them, place them, let them. Teach them, place them, let them. This is mentoring. What's he, what he's, he's doing is mentoring and delegation. This doesn't work unless they're first taught. Now he's teaching them, and now from that group, he's selecting those who are faithful leaders. Moreover, verse 21, look for able men from all the people. They represent all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place them over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and, and tens. Think about this for a moment before we read on. Just think about there's now leaders of tens, and I'm just going to take that 600,000 men group and divide it by 10. That's 60,000 leaders of tens. It went from one to 60,000 easily in a hurry. Moses no longer is doing it by himself. Do we need that everywhere in our relationships? In our homes, in the church, wherever. Yes, we sure need that. Okay, we'll continue. Let them, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter, what's the text say? They shall decide themselves and it will be easier for you and you will bear, they will bear the burden with you. There's the benefit. There's the why. It will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. God will direct you. You'll go to your place in peace. Teach them, place them, let them. Think about this as parents. If I don't teach them and give them responsibility and let them go do it, I'm crippling my children. We have to do that, and I know that's happening in our congregation, but it has to happen more. Teach them, place them, let them. Moses had to be taught at 80 years old to mentor people and prepare them and put them in places and let them go. That way, Moses could do what Moses does really well. That is an important thing that we saw. Like I said, it's in Acts chapter 6. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's also in the New Testament. So the great work is multiplied. The work's getting done more efficiently. The people are empowered. Think about this. What kind of culture in a home is created when mom does everything? I don't want to start any family spats here, but... What kind of culture is created in the home when mama does everything? You helping your kids? You helping your hubby? Nope. 
Moses had to have a culture of expectation. We're all in this together. Amen? We're all in this together. We're all in this sauce together. And so we're all going to be involved. Okay? And so that has to be true here as a congregation. We're all in this together. All right? So that's something that Moses was taught. All right, fifth point. The great work is energized. Have you ever read the Gospels and just get absolutely frustrated with Peter? Maybe you see yourself in Peter. <laughs> but Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, all these guys, they had issues. They brought all their energy and zeal, but they brought their drama. They brought their incorrect ideas, but they brought all of the zeal and energy. And I noticed that Jesus never stifled their zeal. He taught them, he shaped them, he molded them, but he didn't step on them. He didn't take the Holy Spirit hose and spray out their fire. He, he encouraged that, he shaped it and he molded it to the point where it was an unstoppable force for the kingdom of heaven. How many of you, when you have mentored somebody, got energy and fresh ideas, a new perspective from somebody you were trying to teach? I have, I see head shaking, but I tell you what we got to be careful about. Those, as we are leading, wherever that is, maybe this is true for you at work, you have to think about this. We have to be vulnerable and unafraid as leaders. We have to be content in Jesus and not be intimidated or threatened because young, a young person comes along with a new idea. We shape and mold but we don't stifle zeal. Mentoring is a privilege, it's a blessing. We have brought in, I mean, think of, the, think of the combination when you have the wisdom of the elderly, the experience, the, the perspective that only comes by living long, long time on the earth, a lot of years, and you combine that with the energy of the youth. You put that together, that's God's design for the body of Christ, amen? And so we need everybody in the group contributing to that and the work is energized okay next point and if i get done earlier i'll have seven more points so just kidding. learning is a lifetime thing moses was 80 years old and his father-in-law mentored him i want you to look with me if you would to philippians chapter 3 philippians 3 paul is older at this point. In fact, if you read the sister, one of the sister letters, Philippians, he says, I'm Paul the aged. Was Paul at a point where he said, I I've attained. I've reached it. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need anyone to take me alongside anymore. I, I, I don't need any more new ideas. I don't need any more counseling. I don't need any more mentoring. No, no. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, and this is my encouragement to all of us, especially those who are older. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We will never be without a need to be taught and mentored, encouraged, shaped, molded. Whether you're 10 or 90, you will always need someone to encourage and mentor and shape you. Or turn the lights on. <laughs> Number seven, final point. 
Why mentor? We've gone through several reasons. I think they're very good reasons and I hope that they're encouraging to you. But I'll tell you this, seven is somebody did it for you. Someone taught you how to ride a bike. Someone taught you how to throw a fastball. Someone taught you how to make a grilled cheese sandwich so that when you went off to college, you know how to do something. Someone taught you how to balance a checkbook. Someone taught you how to sing, play an instrument. Someone taught you how to respond to bad events with, with grace and humility and prayer. Someone showed you a model of forgiveness. Someone showed you how to study the scriptures. Someone took the time with you. Someone invested a lot of time and dealt with, frankly, our attitude, our problems, our issues, and they loved us through it. Amen? Somebody did that for you. Question is, are you going to do it for somebody else? So it's a call to action, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 will be our final verse. I'd mentioned it earlier. But Paul said to Timothy, Paul's about to die. Remember, I mean, he's going to go the way of all the earth. He's going to die. But he says, Timothy, listen. I mean, he's got a, little, a last few moments with Timothy. And this, here's one of the things that he tells him. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As you've heard me say, that's four generations. Four generations. Perpetual mentoring. It's legacy. It is God being generationally minded. Somebody took the time with me to teach me the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here today. Somebody loved you enough to open up the pages of this and say, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and why you need to follow him. So let's continue that love on to other people. So we close with that and I offer the invitation. First of all, a call to action. We, we don't have time. That's an illusion. I want to shout that, but I'll say it calmly. We don't have time. It's an illusion. I've known too many people who have just suddenly died. We have no time. This is a call to action. No more excuses. And so as we think about that, I call through Jesus the, the invitation for you to come to Jesus because you don't have any time. There's, there's no time left. If you need to become a Christian, today is the day to come forward, to be baptized into Jesus Christ, to confess his name before these good people and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to repent of my ways. No more of that stuff. I'm going this direction with Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Think about these things and come forward as we stand and sing. And thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, that's A-A-R-O-N at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day.